The following episode of the Bruin Family Insights podcast is brought to you by Westcom Credit Union. Serving Southern California for over 85 years, Westcom Credit Union is dedicated to helping Bruins and their families build better lives. Learn more at ucla.westcom.org. Welcome to Bruin Family Insights, where we equip Bruin families with knowledge to help you get to know UCLA better and encourage your student to thrive during their time at UCLA and beyond. I'm your host, Kayla Albano, and on this episode, we're exploring the topics of mental health and resilience. In this conversation, we will explore how the pressures of college impact students' mental health, how the pandemic has influenced our collective mental health and resilience, and strategies and resources for supporting students' wellness. Here to chat with me is Dr. Drea Letamendi, Interim Director of the UCLA RISE Center and Associate Director of Mental Health Training, Intervention, and Response for Residential Life. Drea is a licensed psychologist and serves as a mental health advisor and well-being strategist both at UCLA and beyond. In addition to her roles with UCLA, Drea contributes to public health education using the intersections of science and superheroes. She hosts the podcast, The Arkham Sessions, and delivers seminars, panels, and keynotes at universities, organizations, and comic conventions. Drea's mission in her work is to make psychological science available to everyone. Drea, I am so glad to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Kayla. I am a huge fan of this show and it's such a pleasure to be a part of it. Thank you. Appreciate that. And uh, we're just looking forward to having you in the conversation. But before we do get started, uh, we always have a trivia question for our listeners. So today's question is, what does RISE, R-I-S-E, stand for in the UCLA RISE Center's name? So to all of our listeners, uh, take, take that, think about it for the next you know, 45 minutes as we're chatting, and then we will give the answer at the end of the episode. Uh, you may even get it during our conversation. We'll see. So uh, keep your ears out for a potential answer during my conversation with Drea. Uh, but now I'd love to just dive right in with you, Drea, um, by just having you share a little bit about your work with UCLA, uh, of which I know there is a lot, um, and then how the RISE Center specifically encourages holistic student wellness. I started at UCLA in 2017 to take on a role in residential life, actually. Uh, we were really attending to some of the mental health needs that seemed to be more apparent and um, certainly became an area of interest for me personally. So when I joined UCLA then, it was to build mental health programming, support structures, training and consultation for our very large residential community on campus. And soon after that, I'd say the beginning of 2019, um, as a part of a Student Resilience Task Force, we built RISE. We built the Campus Resilience Center, which really was meant to be a space of belongingness, inclusivity, well-being, and um, a welcome for all Bruins to find what they needed 
to secure calm, safety, and uh, success. You know, we really wanted them to thrive when it came to their well-being. And I think that's something to emphasize as a part of the RISE Center. Certainly, there might be specific needs that a student may have, but we collectively wanted to create a space that would encourage resilience building, psychological well-being, um, a, a really a positive place that, and a positive culture that students could embrace, and um, and certainly you know to equip them with tools and strategies to help them manage the hardships on our campus. Yeah, and there are so many ways that you all are doing that, right? From yoga to trainings to you know trauma informed practices and support and. Um, I, I love what you said about, you know, not really zeroing in on any one thing, but holistically supporting students. And uh, we have had the pleasure of seeing that firsthand uh, with our parent volunteers, you know, volunteering with the center or uh, just parents council getting to connect with you. So uh, thank you for sharing that. I know we, we are big fans of RISE over in the Parent and Family Association as well. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Um, and I know that you are obviously affiliated with the counseling and psych- psychological services, right? So RISE is, is a kind of part of that network of resources. Uh, and I know you and I have talked about this a little bit offline, uh, but some resources at UCLA like uh, CAPS or counseling and psychological services are pretty heavily impacted right now. Uh, I know we have talked about your team and ResLife and all of our different teams on campus that are just we're, we're, we're responding to so much with our students. So how are you balancing the difficulties that that poses with the need to ensure student safety and support, which obviously is the the number one goal? That is a great question. And, and being completely candid, it's something that we ask ourselves all the time. You know, how do we meet the well-being needs of our large uh, community and how do we pay attention and tune in to what they're asking for? Um, if we, of course, you know, I, I think I think I should emphasize that distinction between rising caps, for instance. That's a question we get a lot. Caps is our uh, counseling and psychological services on campus. Those are clinical services that are um, incredibly utilized um, and, and very resourced for students. And Rise is one of the subservices of Caps. It's it falls along the continuum of care around the area of prevention. So wanting to ensure that that we reach students who um, might be kind of in a, you know, in a in a zone of functioning where they might need some support, access to resources and and maybe some strategies so that they, you know, they don't have to access a, a clinical service. Um, but also postvention, right? Um, reaching out to communities, to uh, student organizations, to individuals who have been impacted by something heavy or something challenging, uh, and in order to kind of create dialogue and support and resources for them. So I often, you know, Rise is kind of a CAPS cousin, right? We're there at a different level of support, but certainly there to answer the call, to be available and well-resourced in order to meet the student's need across this continuum of care. And as the campus embraces this continuum of care, it's important then to note that aside from CAPS and RISE, there are other UCLA resources that might address belongingness, mental well-being, 
holistic health, academic support, um, identity and development. And it's certainly when you say the word holistic, I light up because what, when we think about academic success, when we think about, you know, achieving these, these goals that students have and their interests, not to reach, not to just reach those goals, but to thrive in their journey at UCLA, yeah. we know that it's not only about academics, it's about mental health services. It's about recreation. It's about community and belongingness and having a purpose aside from a grade and a class. Right. And so I encourage listeners to consider these different areas of support and resources and actually rise is I often call it like a, a, a space to learn about these resources mm-hmm. on our website. We have a rise brochure and it's a compendium of places, units, departments and services for Bruins that uh, can help them. Uh, uh, embrace and work on these additional areas of their functioning, including mental health, but also these other areas that we're talking about. Uh, and and to speak to that, I, I think that's really the, that's the paradigm. That's really kind of the, the concept that we really want to bring forth is that all of us are so complex and our students are um, incredibly dynamic as well. And are going to do better over the course of their experience as Bruins if they're accessing these various supports and resources. And so what I'm, what I'm hearing then too, is that it's about making sure students know a, like you said, the, the breadth of resources, but also are recognizing the complexity of themselves, of the people around them, and with that, the vast number of resources that they can tap into to do this work of being holistically well, which I think gets back to the point of, you know, there it's not just CAPS, it's not just RISE. These aren't the only places people can go. And I think when students are exposed to more of that, then there's less impact on those programs and that support is more widespread and students are still getting what they need. That's a lovely summary. It's sort of like, how do we, how do we meet students where they're at and how do we help them? It's really up to us to help them navigate this system and learn about all the different places that, that they could meet their needs. Um, And so for instance, as an example, um, we have case management services for students who need, Um, support navigating various units and departments that might help them succeed academically. These could be financial services. These could be family services. This could be veteran services. This could be um, academic services. And so case management services helps them to organize themselves around those different needs and to know who their contacts are in these these different, um, these different service areas. A person who has case management may not need a CAPS uh, therapist or a CAPS counselor, right? Uh, and so that's that's sort of an example of how we would certainly want students to, to have access to the different various supports around them, but to also, I think, for us to embrace our roles and understand that we are responsible and we're responsible for ensuring they they understand how they can navigate this system. Right. And so for our parents listening, an example of how all of this might play out with you and supporting your student 
is that, let's say you call our parent helpline and you, your student has X, Y, Z things that they're going through and you're not sure where to direct them. Uh, If it is a mental health focused issue, it very well may be that we provide you with the information about both CAPS and RISE, share the difference between the two, the resources that they offer, and encourage you to share that with your students. So again, it's putting the information in their hands to be able to determine what might be the best resource for them, but to know what is all available. And then if your student is having, you know, a wide array of issues that maybe are spanning academic, mental health, um, engagement, whatever the issues may be, we oftentimes will direct you to case management because just like Drea said, they'll be able to parse out what exactly the right resource is for your student. So it's not necessarily that you as a parent need to be going to all of these places, right? But when you call our office, this is kind of how we're helping figure it out is looking at the web of resources that we provide and then giving you as a parent the tools to support your student. Uh, With all of that and thinking about those resources, Drea, obviously the last couple of years have been pretty challenging because we have been in the middle of a global pandemic. Uh, and so many other things that we could even get into when it comes to uh, what 2020 and 2021 and now even the beginning of 2022 have looked like. But where have you seen the most prominent effects of the pandemic specifically on the student experience, particularly as it relates to mental health and resilience? So we have all those resources. That's really great. And then the pandemic gets thrown in the mix of things. How how has that influenced uh, things for our students? It is hard to imagine and even comprehend that we're going into a third year of the pandemic. And what I first want to say before I talk about some of the effects of the pandemic on students is that our group, our community of college students right now are showing incredible resilience and determination to stay in the game and to show curiosity, to show connection, to be willing to endure so much in order to achieve their academic goals. It's pretty amazing to witness the grit of our student community. And honestly, that's certainly one of the things that um, encourages me to stay on track. Uh, But as I mentioned, there are some prominent effects of the pandemic on our student communities. There are now, we see a, a tremendous amount of uh, information research and other findings from the coping literature that um, I think puts into words what I think a lot of us are feeling, right? They're saying that there are mental health effects um, among young communities in particular, 18 to 25. There are reports of increased stress, anxiety, depression, and sleep disturbance. There's an increased amount of languishing Languishing is a word that refers to a sense of feeling adrift and not motivated. And it's important to recognize that even if a student isn't in distress, they may not be well, they may not be thriving. Um, So we shouldn't ignore those signs. And I do want to name that there are some concerns, especially among young, young students, especially among students of color, about a slight increase in suicidal ideation. Those are thoughts of ending one's life or thoughts of severe hopelessness. And as we respond to those uh, changes, as we respond to some of the disclosures and reports that we're getting from students themselves, we are are interested in becoming more 
uh, effective, we're interested in becoming more uh, available. And certainly now, especially with these hybrid times, access is very, very crucial. Yeah. We want to ensure that our services are accessible. And so I'd say that as we see some of these various changes among students, we also have made some adjustments to services. Uh, I can speak to CAPS very quickly, even though I'm, I'm technically not a part of CAPS. CAPS has remote uh, mental health services available for students. For RISE in particular, RISE has been working toward hybrid services. We have our center recently, our center recently reopened this month, actually, but we also continue to have virtual sessions, mindfulness and breathing sessions, stress management sessions, and other types of health and holistic workshops that are, that are available over Zoom because we know that not all of our community can come to our center on campus. And I've been determined to continue to make our work and services as available as possible and that we're tuning in to the students' needs as they share what's been hard about this pandemic. Um, so I, I think what I'd like to emphasize in my response to your question is that I think what we can do as mentors, as parents, as um, advisors is to have grace, mm -hmm. is to really try to find the grace within you and just pause and try to tune in to what a student is going through and to ask them what they need, ask them what their experience is and show that sense of empathy, calmness and willingness to support them. That will, uh, that will have such a positive effect on our interactions with them. That's so good. And I think the tendency sometimes as a parent uh, from, from what I have gleaned from our working with our parents at UCLA is to want to fix things, right? To immediately want to be able to fix it. And, and obviously right now we can't do that for everything. So I think that grace and that pause is, is so important, not only for the student, but for, for our parents, right? Because the pause gives you the moment to realize what is actually within your control to do. So I appreciate that. A little nugget of wisdom, definitely. And I, I mentioned that even beyond the pandemic, obviously the last couple of years have had so many different things we're going through, but honestly, even the, the start of the quarter at UCLA has, has held a lot of challenge. Uh, and as the time of this recording, just last week, uh, we also had a really challenging week that included uh, a number of compounding events like returning to in-person learning after being remote uh, for a month for the beginning of the quarter. There was a mass shooting threat. Uh, midterms were happening. There was a student sit-in uh, amongst other things that were going on on campus. Uh, so how do you and your teams work to support and advocate for students through these circumstances? So even beyond all of the wonderful things you've already shared, when something like this happens, what, what do you do? I guess that's the basic question. Many times we are in a place mentally of overwhelm. And I think that the events and the tragedies, the stressors you've just described, when they happen together, when they're stacked up and seem to occur at the same time, or actually in this case, do occur. Right. 
at the same time, even on the same day, the helplessness we feel, the shock we feel, um, the horror we feel puts us into a state of fear, puts us into a state sometimes of, you know, helplessness. And that's normal. So I think the first thing I want to do is name that, that for many of us for several days, we did experience a feeling of uh, horror, a feeling of shock, a feeling of sadness, a feeling of helplessness, a feeling of uncertainty. And I do want to name that as a psychologist, um, you know, I'm often, I, I often find it important to name the traumatic nature of what we're experiencing, mm -hmm. that for the last two years, we've been battling with uncertainty. We've actually been learning tool sets. You know, we've been learning strategies to manage the uncertainty that we're facing. And then when we have what's called acute stressors or these events that are unexpected and push us out of our comfort zone, our fear uh, spikes, you know, our stress response spikes. And we're yet again put into a mentality of uncertainty and helplessness. So I just want to name that our reactions uh, are very normal. And, and still this week, some of us continue to feel that sense of uncertainty yeah. Uh, yeah. or a feeling of distrust or, uh, you know, unsure, right? And that's normal. I will say that the campus administrators are very attuned to how these events impact our community and that we are certainly concerned about how these events place our students off track or, or even influence them or impact them in a way that may, may impact their academics, right? So, so we are concerned about the long-term impacts of these events. What we've done in the short term is to provide some spaces and some uh, appointments with students. You know, I'll say broadly, we have drop-in spaces and scheduled uh, dialogue spaces to process what's going on because we know that naming the experience, naming the emotion, and then connecting with one another and then sharing resources is, is you know, one of the most helpful immediate things we can do. So this week, RISE and CAPS offered those spaces. Um, and ongoing, RISE will continue to have drop-ins and appointments at our center and virtually to continue to process what's been going on, to name the emotions in particular, and actually to learn some tools around calming the body, regaining focus, getting back on track. That's something that RISE specializes in. We're right where we need to be. We want to encourage students to access these services so that they feel seen, they feel embraced, they feel that we're supporting them and we're also equipping them with additional tools to endure these challenges. I, I think that's really important because we, we have had some parents who've reached out to our office and the immediate response, right, is why haven't we done X, Y, Z, or why are midterms still happening, or my students feeling fill in the blank. And these are all really valid concerns and questions. And I think what you just said is so helpful that the resources that RISE is providing, it's, it's not just about like a short-term band-aid. It is about teaching students teaching students resilience, right? Teaching students long-term ways to manage through 
traumatic times or stressful times or overwhelm. Obviously right now there's a lot of, like I said, compounding things, but I think, I think it's important to not miss the moment and the opportunity of helping students have those coping skills, right? And, and not just, we're going to take away everything as much as possible that we can that's stressing you out or that's not going well, right? But we're, we're going to show you how to work through it. And we're going to teach you how to, you know, wave that red flag when the time comes. So it's a, it's a both and, right, of, of those two things. It is. And, and let me just say, I do serve on our threat management team. And what I'll say is that there are many, many people behind the scenes who are in direct response, in immediate response to campus threats. And I know we got a ton of students and family members and caregivers and parents messaging us and asking, you know, what do you know? What should we do? And sometimes silence can feel upsetting. It can add to the powerlessness. It can add to the helplessness. And as someone on the other side of that, I just want to say that so much determination work and conscientiousness goes into protecting our campus. I recommend that people go back and listen to London McBride's episode that you did it, to, to better understand some of those additional structures and mechanism. I, I just want to assure folks that we are not ignoring your messages and requests. We're doing our due diligence to better understand all the factors and details that we know about the threat in order to secure safety and communicate what we can as soon as we are able to in an accurate and safe right. way. That accuracy point, I think, is huge. Um, sharing out information is so good, but if it's wrong or incomplete, that could that could be even more problematic. But appreciate you sharing that perspective. I, I don't think we always get a peek into who is a part of those conversations and what that looks like. So that's really helpful. And, you know, all of the issues we've touched on to this point, not only affect students' mental health and resilience, but you've kind of touched on this a little bit, that it also affects staff, faculty. Uh, we talked about how it affects our families. Uh, collectively, it really feels like our trauma responses are in complete overdrive. Uh, so what suggestions do you have really for all of us uh, for coping with all that's going on in the world today? And I have a part two for you on that, but let's start there. What suggestions do you have when it comes to coping with the world as we know it? My suggestion is to take pause and take some time first to build awareness of the emotional experience that we're in. And the psychology word for that is to use introception. Introception is the practice of tuning inward and paying attention and looking, looking at uh, exploring, attending to the visceral experience of our body, our mind, our sense of self. It sounds like mindfulness, right? right. Um, but it doesn't have to be even that complicated. It could just be a pause and asking ourselves, what is this feeling I have? Where did this feeling come from? Is it worse or better than it was the last time I checked in? You know, this amazing, wonderful ability we have to perceive ourselves. Um, so that's something I recommend for everybody, it, it, whether um, somebody who is impacted uh, significantly by these events or feels a little bit kind of indirect, like somebody who's out of state or even out of the country and, and they have a student at UCLA, right, um, is to take this pause and to, and to have that check-in. And I often say that in addition to doing that, 
information is incredibly important. Having a connection to the information that might help guide us, that might help calm us, that might help activate us. You know, what can I do? I feel this way. I feel a certain way. What can I do next? And so I often encourage people to equip themselves with information. So, you know, Kayla, you've shared the resources available for parents and guardians um, to explore where those are, how they can be helpful, and even to make some connections before there's a crisis so that, that you know, we're almost protecting ourselves uh, before the aftermath of, you know, something that might be unsettling or helpless. So it's that sense of insight. It's a sense of uh, information gathering, which hopefully we can do ahead of time. And then community is the third thing that's so important is like, who do we rely on to talk to, to connect to, um, to get uh, validation that what we're going through is real and is important and matters. And if folks are not sure about that community, I'd say, get prepared, get informed. Maybe the information, maybe that stage of information gathering also tells you who you can get support from, where you can find those connections. While that set of tools may not resolve a lot of the trauma that we're experiencing, it can help protect from further psychological harm and may even help people to support one another. And I think that's very important. While we're on that kind of train of maybe some hopeful things or some positive things, what for you has brought you hope or encouragement in the last couple of years or is giving you hope for the future? I love this question. And we talked a little bit about this right before we hit record when we were connecting with one another. I do think that making meaning from this work is so important. And, and for me, when I connect to the meaning of the work, I am uplifted. I do feel hopeful. So as an example, we just spoke about some significant, difficult, challenging, and traumatic events that happened around the same time as it relates to our campus community. And when I'm able to reflect on those events, I think to myself, you know, they're separate things, but there are some connections. This tells me that students are in need. This tells me that there are some underserved communities that need support. It tells me that the work that we're doing on our campus to secure safety and well-being support is important. And so I don't like to make sense of tragedy. I know that's something that isn't my first go-to, but in the aftermath, making sense of those events and making sense of why I might be able to make things better is how I stay on track and how I stay motivated. And so more literally, what brings me hope is that all of us matter in some way and that we're not ins insignificant, you know, people just kind of reacting to these things, but that we're brought together for a purpose. And that's essentially why I continue to be curious. I continue to try to connect myself to the work. And it also means that I remember to step away from the work when I need to, because it is such hard work. I know we've covered a lot of recent events and just general things that we have been walking through at the university, but I want to drill down into some really tangible things that we can give our families 
uh, as they think about supporting their students' mental health and resilience and, and just really matriculation through college and beyond. So I want to start with just some common signs maybe that parents and family members can look for uh, or, or recognize uh, that may tell them that their student is experiencing mental health challenges. So what are some common signs? And then kind of with that, are there specific questions that students or that families may ask their students to help identify this? I'd start with looking at whether basic needs are met. So we look at basic functioning, right? Are there, are there signs that a student is not getting enough sleep? Is the, are there signs that a student is getting too much sleep? So any kind of change in sleeping patterns, notice that. Um, how about the patterns of like eating and nutrition, any changes in their eating habits and their dietary habits? How has that changed, if at all? Movement and exercise, is a student not as interested or encouraged that they feel um, unmotivated, right, to to move their body, to walk, to exercise. And, and we see this, even if a student isn't an athlete, right? We see this um, when they're uh, just, they just seem slower. They seem more, you know, unwilling to get up, unwilling to move their body as much. This is something that is, that is a little bit more overt. And, and then what is a student saying? You know, what are some of the um, ways that they describe their experience? Are there words that lend themselves to, to allow you to learn more about what they're going through. And those words may, or those statements or disclosures may, may be about their academics. It may be about their sense of concentration and focus. It may be about their friendships and connections. Do they seem lonely? Do they seem like they don't have people to talk to? Uh, I know a lot of times students don't share a lot, but I think collectively, if you look at these different areas, any deficit there is important to note. And I, you know, I, I don't like to be deficit-based. I will also say that if you notice a sense of languishing, which in and of itself isn't, isn't necessarily indicative of a mental health disorder or condition, but a noticeable sense of being adrift, not being goal-oriented, unmotivated, that is also an experience that we, we would certainly want to explore and ensure that, you know, we respond to. And so that, that can sometimes be hard for our parents, right? Because they're not right here with their students every day. So how, how can parents explore that? What, what are the right things to be asking or how engaging with your students? I don't want to say the right things, but what are some ways to engage with students around that? I think having open and trusting conversations on occasion, right? However that might look, given the dynamic of your relationship with your student, this could be occasionally checking in, you know, again, what is the main form of communication, texting, calling, a, a group text with family members. There's lots of different ways that students stay connected with with their guardians and parents, but I'd say, you know, really embrace the, the communication that does exist 
and utilize that platform to check in. The things I just talked about, they don't have to be necessarily visibly observed. They can be asked about, they can be, you know, there, there could be a check-in about these things. And I think simply asking, you know, how various parts, you know, earlier, Kayla, in our conversation, we talked about a holistic self. It's not just saying, how are you doing in math? Yeah. How are you doing in engineering? It's beyond that. How are you doing socially? How are you doing personally? How are you doing with your creativity? How are you doing with your, you know, emotional well-being? There's lots of different ways you can ask. And I think it's important to try to touch upon. I mean, how are you doing financially? How are you doing in terms of, you know, your sense of spirit, your spirituality? There's there's different areas of the self that can be asked about. And although I'd say parents and guardians have mixed access to social media, but I will say if that social media is public and is available, seeing what's there, seeing what information you can gather from those posts. And the our social media identities are not a one-to-one mapping of our actual in real life sense of self, yeah. but sometimes yeah. those presentations can help us gain an understanding of what someone might be going through. Great tips on that front. And you talked a little bit about basic needs and asking those questions and whatnot. So to build off of that, uh, what are some healthy habits that parents and family members might encourage their student to engage in uh, to help promote a healthy mind, body, and spirit? So I, in response to the question I just asked in conversation we just had, I know that's a really blanket question, uh, but what, what would you say are kind of the top healthy habits? One of the most important, this is, this is not to be, um, not to be too critical, but I will say that what we do ourselves is really important, sends a message, sends a model, creates a model of how we take care of ourselves. So when students see how staff, faculty, parents, guardians, adults uh, in our community, as they witness and observe how we manage our our stress, our hopelessness, our mental health, they pick up on that. So it's absolutely critical for us to to show that, to demonstrate that, to really live that. In addition, when we talk about promoting a healthy mind, again, we're coming from a very holistic paradigm. The framework essentially is recommending and encouraging a variety of ways of practices to uh, to foster well-being, to promote well-being. So that includes, you know, again, some of the areas that we talked about, encouraging movement of the body, uh, recreation, exercise, encourage a routine of something that kind of is boring to talk about, but encouraging a routine. Look, uh, college students have some of the wackiest <laughs> sleep schedules and work schedules And it sets them up to be constantly having to catch up to, uh, to their routine, right? They get off track and and they spend most of the quarter just trying to catch up. So establishing a healthy, consistent routine and continuing to stay on board with that, right? So sleeping uh, seven to nine hours a night, exercising daily, moving the body daily and finding what I would consider something that's non-academic, that's joyful, that's an escape, that's spiritual, that lends itself to feeling of fulfillment and mastery. 
outside of academics, those are all the different areas that should be attended to. And while I summarize that pretty quickly, I'll say it is not easy to keep a positive sense of mental health. It's a daily, daily task. Yeah. I think one of the ways that our office can help families with this is by being a hub to learn about the resources uh, and events and ways to get involved and all of that that are accessible to students. So I would add to that, that one of the best ways that our families can do everything you just said is by being knowledgeable about what's available at UCLA. So if you feel like your student is not maybe connecting socially the way they should, you can say, hey, did you know that there is a website you can go to to find all 1300 plus clubs that are at UCLA? And I know you like photography, so maybe there's a photography club you could be a part of or something like that, where you know what's available at UCLA and you as a parent or guardian are providing that information to your student so that they can start to make some of those connections and and start to do some of those things for yourself. So that's another way that our office can be supportive of that goal too. We've talked about so much. I, I know we could keep going. There are so many different conversations we could be having when it comes to our students' wellness, but what would be your biggest or overarching piece of advice or even just encouragement for our families right now Uh, And uh, to add context to that is that a lot of our conversations with families in the last couple of weeks have been really hard. Families are concerned about their students' mental health. They're concerned about students learning remote or even learning in person and the challenges that both of those things may uh, pose. They're concerned about the safety. There's, There's just, there's so many things that we are hearing and that I know you're hearing as well that are unsettling for our families, especially because they're not here. So what, what is the advice or the encouragement, Drea? Bring, bring it home for us. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to highlight probably two main concepts that I hope can be helpful here. You've named, we've both named a number of challenges that students are experiencing and I think right now it's critical for guardians and parents to be a source of uh, support and affirmation and not another relationship of demand Mm -hmm. and pressure. And that's so hard because I think for a lot of parents, they, they do see themselves as a bit of an advisor, right? Of encouragement, pushing, um, uh, guiding their student to uh, to get through this college experience, you know, in a successful way. And so it might be only natural to maybe to increase some pressure or to nudge them or, or to try to be um, advising them. And I, I think at this time, the supportive elements of parenting really need to come into play. What we know from the coping literature is that social support is one of the most effective, powerful ways to counteract trauma. Nothing else. There's no pill. There's no, you know, magic uh, intervention. Like one of the most important, critical ways to protect our young people is social support. And parents are are a form of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just want to encourage them to embrace their ability to show a sense of comfort, security, assurance, you know, we got you. 
And I hope, I hope that that lands well. I hope that lands um, in a way that listeners receive it and understand how that looks for them because every family is different. Right. Um, and I think I promised two things. Uh, the other thing is probably very much related to our overarching conversation about where they, where parents and guardians can go for support that we have a vast amount. I can't imagine any other institution having this many resources, units, departments, services to, to help families throughout this journey. And so I encourage them to look for those things and to be aware of those additional services so that they have, they're not in this alone, that they, they know where they can go for that assistance. Definitely. They are not in this alone. I love that. Well, I always end my conversations with our guests with uh, one specific question. So I would love to hear from you. What does family mean to you? Family is such a special word for me. I was a first gen student, traveled across the country to go to college, child of immigrants, um, first gen graduate student. I had to learn a lot of things along the way that my parents and guardians weren't necessarily aware of because of their own lived experience. And I would say that family is something that transcends distance and and even time, right? That I, I think personally, I, I spent a lot of time and I spent a distanced uh, experience away from them. And yet I felt a strong sense of support. Essentially what we just talked about, family is that tremendous and resilient support that continues to endure despite the ongoing challenges that that this developmental and transitional period brings. And that is, that's kind of how I think about family, no matter how much time passes, no matter how distant we are, um, we continue to be uh, supportive of one another. And I carry that mentality into my own relationships in my own family, especially during this pandemic when connection and, uh, and community is so hard to get. That's so good. Thank you for sharing that with me. Sure. Before we end, I do not want to forget that we had our trivia question at the beginning of uh, the conversation. And I think you did a pretty good job not dropping the answer. So (laughs) kudos to you on that. But just as a refresher, the question was, what does RISE stand for in the UCLA RISE Center's name? And the answer is that RISE stands for resilience in your students' experience, student experience. But for this group, it can be your students' experience, Uh, but resilience in your student experience. So RISE, uh, that has been, I think, the, the word of the hour alongside holistic is resilience. And I totally agree with you, Drea, that that is something I'm seeing a lot of in our students in our community. And I do have to give so much credit to you and all the work that you're doing and the lovely folks that you do it with at Rise and in Res Life. I just want to take a moment to make sure that our listeners know how pivotal you have been to the development of uh, this network of resources and support for our students. So I want to thank you for that. I would love to just have you on all the time to share your wisdom and your knowledge, but I'm so (laughs) grateful for this hour. So with you and 
Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your insights with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. And also thank you for recognizing how important mental well-being uh, and mental health is at this time and for carving out this conversation. Um, I certainly hope that listeners are able to gain something from it. And if I can plug something, the Rice Center has many, many brochures and resources, audio clips, video clips, and I recommend that folks check it out on our website. Yes. And we will be linking that along with so many of the things that we have talked about today in our show notes. So we'll make sure that information gets out there, but thank you again, Drea. Appreciate you. Thank you. You've been listening to Bruin Family Insights brought to you by the UCLA Parent and Family Association. We'd like to give a special thanks to our sponsor, Westcom Credit Union. Our guest today was Dr. Drea Letamendi, Interim Director of the UCLA RISE Center and Associate Director of Mental Health Training, Intervention, and Response for Residential Life. If you enjoyed our podcast, be sure to subscribe, tell a friend, or share your support on social media. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon.